You're listening to The Beecast, the official podcast of Beeplans.com. Each week we discuss the latest news, resources, and advice for entrepreneurs and small business owners. I'm Jonathan Michael. And I'm Peter Thorson. This week we hear from Alex Bloomberg from Gimlet Media and the Startup Podcast. Peter and I talk to Levi King about why your business credit matters. And we share a few of our favorite subscription services. This week sounds fun to me. We've got a new segment coming out. We're going to launch a new segment here on the Bcast called Bcast Bites, Bcast yeah. Mini, Mini, Mini Bcast, Microcast. Yeah, and we thought we'd use this time, usually when we talk about a B Plans article, to introduce this new segment and feature. Uh, you should be able to start hearing it outside of our regular full episodes. It should be just about 10 minutes long, get you on your way with some tips and advice. But our very first segment uh, this time around is our CEO of Palo Alto Software, Sabrina Parsons, and she had an interview with Alex Bloomberg. Alex Bloomberg, of course, famous for his work on Planet Money, and then moving on to the Startup Podcast, which saw great success, but was also the recommended podcast from uh, Noah Parsons last week. That's right, and Alex started the Startup Podcast um, because he's co-founded Gimlet Media, which is a new production company that produces podcast shows. So they've got two that they've had out for about a year now, and they've got a new one coming out as well. So so cool. Let's sit back and give this a listen together and uh, see if maybe there's anything interesting to take away. All right, sounds good. So I wanted to focus and ask you a few questions about... Gimlet Media and you as a founder and your struggles with what kind of a founder, what kind of a business Gimlet was going to be um, in terms of lifestyle business versus super high growth business. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've come to really like when I first heard the term lifestyle business, I didn't really I did, it was the first time I'd heard it. And when I first heard it, it sounded really good to me. Like, you know, like somebody described it as like, I don't know, it's a it's a business. You don't have to do that much work, kicks off a couple million a year, you know, small time. And I was like, that sounds like a dream for a lot of people. Uh, also, I think it is a dream in that I don't think there are many businesses like that that you aren't born into. But if you're starting a, I don't know, I mean, I haven't come across people where, yeah, I don't do much work on my business and it kicks off a couple million a year. Like that that seems like a little bit of a fantasy. Uh, and so I think it's like, I think it's a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a pejorative term where one is not needed. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't know why you have to throw shade at small business people who are, working every bit as hard probably as you know people who are trying to build the next uber or whatever like i i think you know tell you know somebody who's starting a restaurant for the first time that like they're not working that hard you know like i think you know you're out of your mind and then i think also even like the distinction between even as a even as a useful term for describing like the scale or scope of a business i don't i don't think it's really that helpful Basically, because I feel like there are certain people for whom, you know, your personality is huge, world-dominating, I want to be bigger than everything, that is sort of in my DNA. And then you're probably not going to want to just start a restaurant. Like, that's not for you. And then there's other people who are just sort of like, I want to create this one space that that I love and I feel very proud of that is like, you know, my business or my restaurant or whatever it is. And that's what drives me. And I'm going to be working just as hard. I'm going to be working night and day on that and thinking about it all the time. But I just have a very different ambition. Uh, than somebody who's trying to start the next Google. So so I, I think every business is a lifestyle business. It just sort of depends on what kind of lifestyle you're going 
after her, you know, and like Travis Kalanick, the founder of Uber, I think he enjoys that lifestyle of being the head of a multi-billion dollar company. Um, and I, I think there's lots and lots of people who would not enjoy that lifestyle, who would free, who would, you know, be killed by that lifestyle, you know, literally like would just, you know, they're, they're, it's just not in their DNA to even enjoy that. So now that you brought up Uber, because that was a, another question I had, um, you had that great conversation in one of the episodes of Startup with Chris Saka, and he told you that story about Travis visiting his family and how just singularly focused he was at being the best no matter what, you know, a, almost a year into it, and you have great venture capital investment, and you guys are growing. Do you look back at that conversation in any different way? Do you feel like you're changing and embracing a different Alex Bloomberg? Or are you still sort of looking at Travis and saying, that's great, but I never want to be him? Oh, uh, I think very clearly. Like, I think that conversation was very clarifying for me. I mean, clearly, I'm not Travis Kalanick. Like, obviously. Like, nobody would ever mistake me for, for, for him. Like, I'm, I'm like, I, am I officially middle-aged now? I'm like almost 50. I've got two kids. I've got like, uh, you know what I mean? And I, I come from public radio. If, if I was Travis Kalanick, I would have been, you know, I would have been on my fourth venture and I would have been doing the Silicon Valley thing for like many, many years now. I had to get comfortable with that as like, here's the kind of founder I am and it's, it's, I think, fairly obvious to all of our investors that that's the kind of founder I am, uh, including Chris Saka. Like, I don't like he's one of the smartest guys in the business. Like he knew who I am. Right. My prognostications about the future of my company are probably that is probably something that I'm the least qualified to assess, actually, because that's not what my strength is. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea what a $50 million company looks like. I have no idea what a $100 million company looks like. I have no idea, like, what kind of offices, like, how many employees do you have? What are you doing? Like, that is not my strength. My strength is sort of understanding, like, there, here's this world in which I, which, where I, where I felt there's an opportunity and I'm acting to sort of meet that opportunity. Uh, and, and that's all I can do. And if huge growth is in the future for us, which I think there's, you know, there's a definite possibility that it is, uh, that's that's wonderful. I, I don't think that it will have tra the trajectory of growth that an Uber has. Um, I don't think you can start a media company, and we're basically a media company. I don't think you can start a media company and and grow from zero to, you know, infinite uh, in the span of time that, that that something like Uber or Google or some sort of breakthrough technology can do. In terms of that, when you think about growing and getting more people on board and kind of all the people management that goes along with it, how have you dealt with continuing to make sure that the culture is what you want it to be? and that you have time to think about it. You guys are growing, you, there's a lot of pressure, more shows, hire more people. How do you have time to deal with that and make sure that you build the culture that you need and want in the context of, but we don't have enough people to do, do 
you know, to do everything we want to do. Well, I, th- I mean, I think that is that is a really good question and something that I think about a lot. Because right now, uh, my main focus is sort of still editorial. Like my my job hasn't changed that much from what it was at Planet Money. Like a lot of what I'm doing is listening through to first and second drafts of the shows that we have. You know, we have three shows. I'm still hosting this season of Startup. I will probably continue hosting next season of Startup. Uh, I'm still um, and I'm still like sort of the executive editor for startup and for our new show mystery show um i have gotten a little bit out of the executive editing business for reply all which has been fantastic uh and they have and their team is like you know just really gelling and and getting more self-sufficient and producing some of the best work that i think they've ever produced and so that's been that's been wonderful to see and i think what like what i hope is that that'll be the process is just sort of like to you know, raise them basically so that they can stand on their own and then watch them, you know, flourish. Like that's, that's my, that's my dream. You want people who are running, you want the hosts of the shows or the people who are sort of running these shows to feel that ownership of them. You know, I mean, everybody, all our employees have stock options. That's, that's an advantage that we've borrowed from the Silicon Valley world. That's, that's nice to be able to offer people. But more than that, I think you want to like really what most people that I'm interested in working with, what they want is they want to feel like they have creative ownership to execute their vision, but they also want the support to help them do that. And I feel like that's where, that's where I feel like I understand that dance. Like you, you want help in executing a vision, but you also want somebody who's not going to like come in and, and bigfoot it out or whatever. And so, and that's a tricky dance. And I think a lot of people don't fully understand it like they're either like okay well we'll just everybody's like a super auteur perfect self-starter and we'll just like give them a a desk and then they'll create some something magic and that doesn't happen or you know you're working for us and you do what we say and you know and that's i don't want that either you know what i mean so i I, i'm trying to like create a, a home for people where they can where they can really do something that they're proud of and they're supported in that but ultimately it's it feels like theirs what is the hardest part today of, you know, running Gimlet and executing on your vision? I mean, the hardest part today is sort of still the hardest part at the beginning. <laughs> it's sort of like it's really hard to make good stuff. And like that's the thing that we're like focused on every single day is like how do we how do we make these shows great and like how do they stand out and like how do we make sure that we're doing that and um you know the 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 hardest part is is the is the creative process it's always been the hardest part um and i think i think there will maybe come a time when that's not the hardest part for me when like i've like where the company is so big that i am no longer involved in any part of that um and I'm not sure how I feel about that. And I'm not sure if that will actually happen, you know. But but right now, at the size of our company, where it is right now, and where where our m- number one job is to just continue to produce stuff that, that people respond to and, and enjoy, um, that that's our that's the hardest thing is just doing that. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard to make. It's hard to make something good. And things want to be bad all the time. And you have to continuously fight to make them good. I mean, that's a great point and something that I think a lot of people who will listen to this from B plans should remember. I mean, I think you see a lot of it in, 
you know, products out in the marketplace, are they just out there to make money or are they really something that is trying to be really good and, you know, make a difference in some way? And there's different kinds of founders and small business owners. Some people are out there and all they want to do is make a profit and other people really have a vision and quality is a very important piece. Yeah. And I feel like that's like, and and like for us, our bond with our audience is the most important thing that we have going. So like that's the thing that I'm just constantly thinking about and making sure that we're like providing stuff that our audience will enjoy and will that feels um you know honest and transparent and so it's just that is the thing that is like the thing that you know that's the thing that I'm that is always on my mind and how to continue to do that as we scale. Well, Alex, I really appreciate your time. My 11-year-old was very excited I was talking to you. So, he said <laughs> awesome. to tell you that Timmy says hi. Oh, we'll say hi back. That's really nice. And tell him I was very I'm very touched. All right, great. <laughs> thanks so much. All right, thanks. Bye. So, a special guest segment. Today we've got uh, Levi King, founder and CEO of Creditera. And also, uh, Levi's started and sold several small businesses before he started with Creditera. Also started a company called Lendio. So really an expert in small businesses and also financing and funding. And now with the, uh, the credit scores on the personal and business level. So a uh, great guest to have around. Really excited. Awesome. Thanks for joining us, Levi. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for the invitation. I think we just wanted to talk through a little bit of these major questions I think that small businesses have, some of these knowledge gaps that a lot of our audience might have out there. So, uh, you know, feel free if you've got any other questions that you'd like to write in, share with us, uh, do so uh, anytime. In the meantime, let's talk a little bit about, you know, why, why does business credit exist? Why is it important? What's What's the deal with business credit, Levi? I mean, is that a vague enough question for you to get started? <laughs> sure. Uh, businesses, just like people, start to develop a score and credit report over time as they develop payment history or credit relationships. Sometimes, though, they can develop a score and a report without much content just from public records or the fact that they're in business and somehow the Bureau picks up maybe a revenue number and they can associate that with time of business and an industry and start to predict some level of risk. But uh, just a way to assess risk on a business um, in isolation for typically for trade purposes with creditors like wholesalers and suppliers or service providers but then in conjunction with personal credit and or other data becomes important in any type of financing scenario. That's great. That makes a lot of sense. So monitoring the credit score, that's important. Knowing what it is is important. But there's this other thing I'm not really clear about. There's the personal credit and there's the business credit. And I remember I remember years ago there being this issue about businesses being like people. So is this just another case where, where businesses are like people or is there more to it? Uh, I think that that's, a, that's an interesting way to look at it. Um, the, the problem is that most business owners... They know about personal credit typically when they start their business. They don't know anything about business credit. They have resources as a person, and so they use those resources in their business. So they start to mix their, their personal finance and their business finance. They use their personal credit cards, home equity line of credit, friends and family money, 401k money, all that are personal assets or relationships or resources. They use that in the business. Um, over time, they'll typically start to um, build business credit whether they know it or not or like it or not. 
but it's slowed down by the fact that they're focusing on their personal, using their personal resources. And in that case, it's almost like the person is the business. There's no, you don't feel a difference. Whereas if they develop their business credit, then the business can start to stand on its own two feet and feel like a standalone entity. And that's, that's something that can uh, be passed on if you sell your business. Whereas obviously as a consumer, we, we don't die and leave our credit history to our kids. We can't do that. We can't sell our credit history. But a business that has good business credit, that is a part of the, the value of the business. So it is, it, it does feel like in a lot of small businesses that the business and the, and the individual are one and the same, but that's not how it should be. It should be that the business can stand on its own two feet, and, and it's a really a test of the strength of the business. So Levi, could you uh, tell us why you would want to separate your business from your personal credit and maybe why it's not a good idea to be relying on personal credit for your business? Sure, and, and, and to be clear, I don't want to oversell the importance of business credit because there are lots of financing scenarios where your personal credit will always still be involved. But if you have good business credit, it helps to get better terms and such. So you're not just relying on the personal credit. But as a small business owner myself, through several businesses, you know, for example, my first business I owned was a manufacturing company. We manufactured electric signs, awnings, and neon. And I had to sign a personal guarantee with the sign supp supplier, with the plastic supplier, the steel supplier, the paint supplier, every single piece of financing, every trade account, personal guarantee. And it always made me sick. That those were always piling up. My personal credit was getting checked all because I didn't have good business credit or any business credit at all. And so that's one important reason is in all those established relationships, you can start to get away from having your personal credit checked, signing a personal guarantee, and always, again, you're, you're the business, not the business itself, and you're the guy that owns it and runs it. And so you start to get away from that. Another benefit is just to get better terms. You know, I, I was cash on delivery with most of my suppliers unless I signed a personal guarantee and then as I got better and better credit they would give me net 60, net 90, net 120 terms so that I could manufacture, install and invoice and get paid on a job before I had to pay for the materials that went into the, to the job. So lower costs, um, more flexible payment terms and really just keeping your personal credit clean because you know extra inquiries, revolving debt, those types of things really hurt your personal credit score and then that in turn will hurt anything you're trying to do as a consumer. You'll have worse options. And what if I have um, like poor personal credit but good business credit? Is that even possible to have? Or you know, is my bad personal credit going to completely tank my, my business credit? You, you can have amazing business credit and terrible personal credit. They're completely detached. The bureaus don't share data with each other in that regard. In fact, they can't share data in that regard. It, it's common to see that a business owner has bad credit and bad personal credit and bad business credit just because they run, they make the same decisions and they have the same habits in both areas. But but they're you know one doesn't cause the other. They're completely separated. Yeah. And so how do I learn more about this? I mean, you know, Levi, you're with Credit Terra, so obviously that's one tool. I mean, definitely tell us a little bit about how that works. But what do I do as a small business owner, a current small business owner? Uh, and maybe even someone who wants to start up a new business one day in the future. How do I how do I get started in this world again? Like, make sure everything's lined up properly. Make sure I'm not forgetting anything. I think this is like one of the big fears that a lot of people like me have is, 
oh, I didn't even know that service existed, or I didn't know I was supposed to get a DUNS number or whatever. Uh, these kinds of things, you know, if no one tells me to do them, I might not do it. So what's the, uh, what's the main tips you would give and the main tools you might use? Well, our product at Creditera.com is similar to Palo Alto Software or Live Plan, B Plans, uh, in the sense that you, you do a great job with your software providing an, a roadmap so that it's really hard to do it wrong. You follow step one, then you get to step two. So we do something similar in our product as it relates to business credit and personal credit where you know there's checklists. Do this, and, and you can do most of it right through our product. So it isn't like you're heading out for a bunch of homework somewhere else. Um, but if you're a new business, you come through and, and, and make sure everything's set up properly, re register your DUNS number, and, and a few other things. If you're already an established business, there's, you can scan your, your raw credit data in our product and dispute things that are wrong. Um, outside of Credit Terra, there's a few other good websites like businesscreditbacks.com, which is sponsored by Experian Commercial. Um, lots of good content uh, at Dun & Bradstreet, dandb.com. They also put out a, a lot of valuable content. The benefit of Credit Terra, of course, is we kind of mix it all together so that you don't have to go to multiple places. But the bureaus themselves do an okay job. Um, they, you know, their core customer is not the business owner. It's the third party that wants to underwrite the business owner. So they're, um, with the exception of Dun & Bradstreet credibility, which is now part of Dun & Bradstreet, I would say the bureaus don't do an amazing job at education. Um, but, uh, but there's, there's lots of good places. Sounds like a great way to get started. Yeah. Awesome. And we can link to those websites and those resources in our podcast notes. So our listeners can check those out. So listeners tell us what, what questions do you have about credit rating, credit score, business versus personal? We'll, uh, we'll funnel them all over to Levi and, uh, maybe even, you know, send some, some life questions, life goal questions. What else will we send Levi? Let's just flood his inbox people. Yeah. Gifts, yeah. small gifts. Why not? <laughs> it's going good. So, Levi, thanks again for being with us. Um, you know, I had a question for you. Uh, you know, LivePlan is a cloud-based subscription service, and so is Creditera. So, um, what are your general thoughts about cloud-based um, services for small businesses? I think that it's a, an area that's largely untapped. There's a, a lot of companies now, like good companies like Zen Payroll, um, that are offering products. Uh, invoice to go is another strictly mobile product that helps small business owners invoice on the spot and, and collect payment from their customers. And I think it's uh, it's been a laggard area of tech development because it really required the cloud, which you guys obviously understand very well. And in fact, I would say one of the top examples of a company that successfully transitioned from uh, desktop software to the cloud, and, and probably early in that process, but, uh, but also then mobile. I mean, it, it like fascinates me going back to the late 90s when I was first learning how to process payroll in my manufacturing business or a couple years later at a hotel I owned. It was such a pain. It was, it was misery. And now, you know, with Zen Payroll, you can do it right on your phone in, in minutes. And it's easy and it's, it's simple. But, if you know, we now have computers in our hand. And I think it's I think we will see fundamental changes in how small business owners operate, whether that's scheduling appointments, managing their, their day, um, their CRM, uh, customer service management. I think we will see fundamental, fundamental changes in how all those things um, are executed upon in a small business. And ultimately, I think their customers will win. I think it's going to make, and their employees, 
Um, but I think we're just scratching the surface of, of the changes that will come over the next probably 10 to 15 years. Have you seen any resistance like on your end for people who don't feel that the cloud is secure enough? Or is that not something that you guys run into? You know, that, that's an interesting question. I, I had a conversation with a CPA recently um, who's, who's probably in his late 50s. And, and I mentioned QuickBooks, for example. We were talking about QuickBooks. And I asked him, I said, what percentage of your customers are, are using QuickBooks online versus desktop? And he was like spewing venom at, at the danger of the cloud and how not a single customer and any that ask, he tells them they, they can never do it. It's so risky. And I, you know, I wanted to say, like, I'm telling you right now that Intuit's cloud is way more secure than the desktop. And that's small business owners in the, you know, the pizza the office at the back of the pizza shop way more secure. But I, you know, there was no point in arguing, but I, it hit me like some generations will actually have to retire. There's some people who have to retire before it changes entirely. But I, I don't think that's a fair representation of all CPAs, but for whatever reason, he's just stuck in his ways. And I think there's probably small business owners like that too. It'll take some kind of turnover in, in the space. But, but by and large, um, I think that it'll become more and more common. People trust the cloud and and especially when they see how easy it is. I mean, just that can entice you. If you're looking at the misery, for example, of payroll the old way, or you can do it right on your phone, it's like, man, okay, maybe this is risky, but good hell, it's going to save me a lot of time and misery. Obviously, you wouldn't know it in the sound of my voice, but I'm a spry 85-year-old, and uh, I think the, the acceptance of the trends is you know, not a clear-cut line between you know, this generation and old generations. There are a number of people who are, you know, older who are willing to accept and change and move forward. Um, do you see some of that too on your end? Yeah, for sure. And and the only reason I mentioned his age is because I didn't. I, I was saying it because he isn't that old, and so that was I was surprising to me that you know he's probably in his fifties somewhere, and 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 doesn't seem like an old guy, but he was so old school in his mentality. So I I totally agree. But there's you know we have credit terror. It, it fascinates me because in customer service. We will have people, in order to access your, your credit through our website, you have to authenticate your identity. We ask them questions that are nearly impossible to fake the answers to, or we're not going to serve up your credit, which is obviously a security uh, protocol that we follow. Well, we have people on a regular basis that will call us and say, I was nervous to put in my social security number online. I want, can I give it to you over the phone, which is way less secure. But there, there's lots of young people who do that. So, that, so it's like you said, it isn't, you can't group people into a, a, particular, a specific age group. Um, maybe there's some correlation with age. I don't know, and but I don't think it matters. I think over time it will change just as more and more people do it. But, but we see that, and it always fascinates us. Like, let me give it to you over the phone versus online um, in, in, across all age groups. It's obviously not the majority, but there's always that sub-segment that, that wants to do it over the phone. Yeah, that's great. You know, I had a, uh, maybe a fun question we can go around and, and answer for ourselves, but when it comes to cloud-based uh, services or products, are there any others on your list that either you use personally or just that you've, uh, you want to recommend uh, for small businesses? What about you first as a, as a spry 85-year-old? <laughs> what do you think's first? Well, I love my music and... Uh, you know, when it comes to cloud-based stuff, the, the example that I go to uh, the fastest is Spotify. I use that um, just about every day, and I don't own any of the music. I stream it live and um, pay a monthly fee for it. Yeah, it's interesting. I started using Spotify a little while ago, and it really does change the way you think about that concept of music. You're not buying it anymore. Right. I'm certainly purchasing fewer albums. 
it's a certain amount of money a, a month. It's it's an interesting, different approach, and I think that's a little bit of uh, like what Levi was saying on the cloud-based apps here. It's not just the fact that it's better software. It's not just that it's cloud-based. It also introduces this you know slightly different business model, this slightly different approach to the whole thing. So. Yeah, Levi. What about you on a personal level? Uh, personal level, I love Evernote. It's it's uh, obviously you install it, but it's it's also cloud based. It's probably my favorite piece of software that's come out within the last decade. Um, I also like Trello, which is a kind of a project management software. Spotify was a great example. Those are probably probably my favorite. Another one I love in the business is Bamboo HR for for uh, HR management. Um, but yeah, those those would be some of my top ones. Yeah, awesome. Great. What about you, Peter? I don't know, man. I think this is gonna sound maybe cheesy, uh, maybe like a spry eighty-five year old. But I gotta be honest, the uh, the Maps app that was life changing for me. Hmm. I'm gonna combine. If I had to make one thing, I would say uh, Maps plus Yelp. Really? That was a killer one. Yeah. So Maps, I no longer need to know where anything is anymore. That's true. I can get anywhere I need to go as long as it has an address. Uh, and with Yelp, you know, if I'm in Los Angeles or Texas, I can, you know, find out what people think about the local places, find out what's in walking distance and get there. It's it's one of those few things. And, and Spotify is getting this way, too, where I'm really not sure how we lived before they existed. Yeah. It's very strange. Yeah, those are those are great examples. And in fact, specifically ways for a mapping app, just because that social connection made it real time and you could actually trust the time estimates uh, that's a great example another one I would throw out there would be uh, uh, run P okay I'll give you a good example because when you're in a movie and you got to use the restroom you use the run P app they tell you they tell you when the breaks are and what you're gonna miss that one I mean where would life be without that one <laughs> yeah uh, that's a, that's a good one I haven't used that one yet See, I'm still here holding it like a sucker. <laughs> I just go before, you know. <laughs> well, that's what your mom told you to do. Exactly. Always your, listen to your mother. Your 105-year-old spry mother. <laughs> if you have a question you'd like us to answer on the show, send us an email at bcast at bplans.com. That's bcast at bplans.com. Our theme music is by Jasinski. The Bcast is brought to you by Palo Alto Software makers of bplans.com and liveplan. Visit bplans.com for everything you need to start planning and growing your business. I'm an editing master. <laughs> just put that in. That's yes, the intro. I'm an editing master. And then right into the... <laughs> <laughs>